Broadcasting live from the inside of a whale carcass, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm Seamus Connolly. I'm Garrett Strother. I'm Ricardo Salgado. What's up, everybody? Hi. What are we talking about today? <laughs> it just gets longer and longer. Oh, jeez. All right, boys. How you feeling today? You, you want to get into our our news for, we, for this week? We've got quite a little trove of news, so yeah, let's go ahead and kick it off. As it seems like we keep having week after week, we're starting off news with a couple of celebrity passings. Most people have probably heard last week Alex Trebek, longtime host of Jeopardy, passed away after a long battle with pancreatic cancer. This one, it hurts because everyone says he was such a cool guy. And even, I don't watch Jeopardy every day, but like I have, I have an association with it. I don't have like a huge Jeopardy past, but... Even more recently, I was starting to watch it more. Like, with my family, we would sit down once a day. I think that was, like, a a quarantine tradition for them, was, like, doing a Jeopardy a day and seeing who would come out on top of the people watching together. And it is a big loss, for sure. And I think that whoever they do get to continue on this, like, legacy of a show, it's it's never going to feel the same, but I'm sure they'll, they'll do it as much justice as they can. I'm a big Jeopardy fan. I used to watch it with my grandfather a lot. I think it'll be interesting to see, just because he has been synonymous with Jeopardy for so many decades, how they handle it. I think the easiest choice for a new host would be Ken Jennings, both because he has that Jeopardy association already, and also the fact that he's just really good at being a public persona. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be having news in the next couple weeks about who's going to replace Alex Trebek, but it will definitely mark the end of an era for Jeopardy, for sure. Co-creator of Scooby-Doo, Ken Spears, has passed away at the age of 82. I didn't actually know who Ken Spears was until you sent us that news, and I was honestly a little surprised that anybody who co-created Scooby-Doo was still alive, just because that... (laughs) That show just seems so old to me, but it's nice that I guess he got to see something that he created become such a huge cultural touchstone. Mm, yeah. Yeah, man, he created a phenomenon. He's leaving behind just this gigantic franchise. There has been a straight-to-DVD or video Scooby-Doo movie every year since 1999. Wow. That can't be true. Every year? Every year. Scooby-Doo is like an empire. It's it's like the biggest cartoon network, kind of one of the biggest cartoons ever made. So, you know, God bless him. God rest his soul. It's nice that they both seem to have lived full, long lives, and it makes it a little bit easier to talk about it at the top of the show like this. Up next, the Fantastic Beasts franchise has been completely shaken up, even though I was convinced they were never even going to bother making a third one after all of the production oh, God, trouble yeah. that this one's been having nah man they're in it they're in it for the long haul i guess apparently. johnny depp who plays grindelwald is no more playing grindelwald production is already started but they're pushing the release date all the way to summer 2022 which just makes sense in the long run anyway because warner brothers is going to have to push it anyway, even if it does get made in time for its first release date because they're pushing all their other releases. In talks to replace Johnny Depp as Grindelwald, it sounds like it's going to be Mads Mikkelsen, who sounds like a great call. I love Mads Mikkelsen. Ever since I saw him in Casino Royale as, like, a 13-year-old, he's 
impressed the hell out of me. I don't know why they're not just going back with Colin Farrell, to be honest. Well, how how would you explain that one? Colin Farrell transformed back into Grindelwald at the end of the first movie. Because when you see Grindelwald in number eight of Harry Potter, he just looks like a guy. He doesn't look like Johnny Depp in those movies. So if you say that that's his, like, theatrical persona and he's gone back to his, like, normal persona, I think it's easy enough. You know what? Sure. Okay, up next... We've got a new movie that I had no idea was happening. Pedro Pascal and Christian Slater are going to star in Robert Rodriguez's We Can Be Heroes, which will premiere on January 1st on Netflix. But there's a twist. Oh. Do you know what universe this film is set in? Oh, yes, I do. What? Okay. Uh, Is it like the Mariachi universe? I'm trying to think of... It's Shark Boy and Lava Girl, baby. Do not screw with me. Do not screw it. It is me. absolutely true. That is absolutely uh, true, Shavis. What is happening? What? This is insanity. <laughs> I just found my Sharkboy Lava Girl 3D glasses cleaning out a closet the other day. I'm like having so... a, a breakdown in my closet right now that I'm bringing back <laughs> the Sharkboy and Lava Girl expanded universe, whatever. He's prompt adult versions of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. This is Girl. blowing my mind because now we have to do like a Shark Boy and Lava Girl live commentary, which actually doesn't sound too bad, but I cringe every time I think about that dream song they do in the middle of that movie. Ugh, makes my skin crawl. <laughs> I've already put this movie on our schedule for January, so. <laughs> we have to. It's it, There's no choice. And then we've got three movie announcements that are in development slash production. First of all, Jake Gyllenhaal has been cast in Michael Bay's Ambulance, which is going to be a speed-esque movie. Oh! Patient's heart rate can't go below 33 beats per minute, or he'll explode. Ricardo, I don't know if you remember the movie that Michael Bay made where they send oil drillers to an asteroid in space. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I didn't watch Six Underground, but... I'm a big Hall guy. I'm willing to watch this. This sounds fun. I'll give it a shot. Other action movie news. Night Has Fallen, the fourth Has Fallen movie, is officially in production. Why don't we have four White House Down movies? That's what I want to know. <laughs> have you guys seen the Fallen movies? I threw that one in there as a joke. I've only seen the first one. I don't know. Maybe I'll watch. Are they any good? I don't know anything about them. The first one wasn't, so I don't know why the other ones would be. I remember I saw a CBS Sunday morning interview with Gerard Butler where they were like, how does it feel that people think about your character the way they think about somebody like John McClane or Indiana Jones? And I was like, <laughs> do they, though? Do they? What? <laughs> that is the pandering ass. That's so funny. <laughs> but here's another one to get excited about. The Rock is developing a Scorpion King reboot the Fraserverse is back, okay. baby! <laughs> that is the oh only God. thing about this announcement that is getting me <laughs> hyped. I never saw The Scorpion King. I only know it through the context of The Mummy Returns with Brendan Fraser. If this genuinely does mean that we're going back to our good old friend McConnell, you know, going around getting all that mummy stuff going, then I'm in. Rick O'Connell... Mitch McConnell is his name in the movie, okay? Get it right. (laughs) Oh, no! I saw the Scorpion King movie on TV like 10 years ago, 
I remember it being okay. I don't remember it being good. There's like a million sequels that don't have The Rock in them. I was going to say, I, is he in The Scorpion King 2, Rise of a Warrior? That's the only other one I I do I know. not believe so. I'm excited. I'm, I'm not excited for the actual <laughs> movie. I'm excited for what could potentially come from this movie. Agreed. Up next, did you guys watch the Happiest Season trailer? It just looks like a charming little holiday Christmas movie with Mackenzie Davis, Kristen Stewart, Dan Levy, Aubrey Plaza, Allison Brie, Mary Steenburgen, Victor Garber. Just an absolutely stacked cast being directed by Clea Duvall. It's about a young woman who's going to propose to her girlfriend at a family Christmas party. But then she finds out that her girlfriend has yet to come out as gay to her very conservative family. So I can't quite tell if it's going to be like more of a drama or if it's going to be a farce filled weird holiday thing but either way it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting it looks like in terms of tone a pretty standard like christmas rom-com that'll make it a little more a little less uncomfortable let's say than like a more serious holiday movie about the meaning of Christmas and being gay. and I'm sure it'll be about that stuff, too. Like, Leah Duvall has a long history with tackling taboo issues, specifically queer issues, in a engaging and funny way. Well, let's keep an eye on it. It might be a good Christmas watch. It's dropping on Hulu on November 25th. Oh, wow, that's soon. Okay. Up next, just a quick bit of news. WandaVision finally has a premiere date. January 15th on Disney Plus, and it will be released weekly, just like The Mandalorian. It'll also apparently be getting some kind of, like, behind-the-scenes after-show deal, similar to how The Mandalorian had a few months after it came out that behind-the-scenes series. Let the countdown begin. Yeah, look forward to our weekly reviews. We'll have to come up with a snappy little segment title for that. And then finally, as you guys know, earlier this week, both the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 dropped. The Xbox Series X initially had some controversy because there were videos online of the grill on the top, like the grate on the top, smoking, like plumes of smoke coming out. Oh, yes. That seems to have been debunked, and the going theory is that people are blowing vape clouds into their Xboxes. (laughs) Yeah, I I vaguely (laughs) heard about that too. People just, for some reason, getting a pre-order Xbox and trying to ruin Microsoft's name, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's some kind of elaborate Sony deal. Oh, yeah, that's it. He's going to get a PS5 on the sly for anybody who vapes into their Xbox. My PS5 will be arriving tomorrow, so we'll talk about that a little bit next week on the show. Ooh, I sure. can't wait to hear your impressions of that one. PS5 is also a vape, <laughs> so... None of the Sony should lean know. into that. That doesn't seem like it would be that far away, having a headset with a vape built in. Oh, my God, that... <laughs> Just getting closer to a mix of, like, idiocracy and Wally. Just like, well, everything's on my head or on my wheelie chair, so. (laughs) (laughs) And then last piece of news, Xbox tweeted a little tease earlier this week where they tweeted a photo of Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian from last week's episode when they were stranded on the ice planet and said we wouldn't be tweeting a picture of the Mandalorian and the child for no reason. That has led to speculation that maybe there's a Mandalorian game coming. It might just be teasing either some Battlefront 2 DLC, even though Battlefront 2 is supposedly done with DLC, 
or the Mandalorian DLC that's coming to Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. You know, or even more baseless speculation, Xbox-exclusive Red Dead Redemption-style Mandalorian game. I mean, you'd hope well, so, I, right? I mean, I hope not Xbox-exclusive, but yes. I really hope we get a Mando oh, game. God. That would not be surprising at this juncture. That is by far their most profitable thing right now. So I'm looking into it right now. Uh, it could be one of two things. It could be that you can apparently watch The Mandalorian for free on Disney Plus if you have an Xbox. Oh, well, that would be lame. Or it could be this Xbox controller thingy because it's like 169 Oh, it's like a special Mandalorian armor Xbox controller or something. Yeah, man. It's made That's pretty cool. Well, still underwhelming compared to what that would initially seem like yeah. they were teasing. I found a picture of the, the thing you want, if you want to see Yes, it please send us a picture. There we oh, go. that's pretty cool. It's interesting looking, for sure. I like that it's got the mudhorn signet on the little thing on the side. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have a Mando game, but this is interesting. A controller that none of us will ever own because none of us will ever buy an exactly. Xbox. All right, so shall we move on to Da Boys? Da Boys. Da Boys. Guys, Da Boys are back in town. The boys are back in town. I was going to make that joke too, damn it. I was going to wait till season three. Overall impressions, what did you guys think of the sophomore season? Awesome. I thought it was great. I watched like five episodes in a row last night and it was just like sometimes when you binge a show you get a little tired you get a little distracted you kind of your mind wanders a bit this season is so good kept me thoroughly engaged the whole time there were a couple really great uh there was a couple great fake out moments that made me like gasp audibly alone in a dark room watching this show and thoroughly enjoyed this season me too. I thought it elevated all of the elements that I really liked in the first season. It brought in new characters who were really engaging and interesting. It added depth to the characters that we already knew. Just an absolute spectacular time altogether. I think this finale in particular is the best episode of television I've seen in a long mm. time. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, this is another instance where I kind of Essentially binge the whole <laughs> thing in a night. That's how hooked I was on it. Without getting too far into spoilers, we start off at a very interesting point with all of our characters. Huey, Mother's Milk, and Frenchie, and Kamiko are kind of on the lam after the events of Season 1. Starlight is just still in the Seven, hanging out. And Butcher, we don't know what's going on with Butcher for most of the first episode. Yeah. Especially considering where we left him last season. Absolutely, yeah. So, spoilers for the season finale of season one of The Boys. Last we saw Butcher, he was with his wife, who is alive and has Homelander's son. Big, big deal. I'm trying to think of, like, what we can even say without getting into it, you know? It's... Homelander continues to be, like, the best on this show in the worst way, and... There's a new member of the Seven, Stormfront, who's kind of a... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Elena Dunham-esque, I don't take any crap and care about anything, and I'm cool because of that yeah, character. Yeah, she's, like, right off the bat, she's, like, uh, kind of giving Vought a lot of crap, and very publicly not aligning with Homelander, and it's a interesting way for 
a character to go considering everything we've saw- seen in season one is basically like, be afraid of Homelander for very good reason, you know? And it's so interesting that there's this character right off the bat that is so unlikable, but also saying initially so many things that you're like, yeah, I hate Vought too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Did- and I think that's really all we can talk about without getting into more spoilers. There was no cursed American Simon Pegg, which I was happy about. I was a little sad to not see him again. Oh, I found out why I did was doing research. The reason that he is Huey's dad is because in the comic, Huey is English, and his appearance is based heavily off of oh, Simon Pegg. Yeah, you, you mentioned that the art in the comic book may have been based on Simon Pegg last week, but I didn't realize that he was English in the comic as well. Throughout this second season, like, the entire time, every episode I watched, I was like, alright, no more screwing around, I want to find a good collection of these comics, I want to start reading these comics, because it's such an interesting and cool universe, I want to see, you know, what they were picking and choosing and adapting into this Amazon thing. This is not characteristic of how I usually am, but I feel like I almost don't want to read the comics, because I'm so enamored with this version of these characters and this world that I am a little afraid to read the comics because I don't really want to go... Does that make any sense? I get it. No matter what, it's going to have a different feel to it, and I know you guys love Homelander as a character, and I know you love Billy Butcher as a character, but that vision might get screwed with a little bit if you go to the uh, source material. My last thought is basically, this is a spectacular season of television. If you're not feeling the first season necessarily, I would say it's worth getting to the stuff in this season. That being said, they double down on things like sexual taboos and extremely graphic violence. Be warned, it doesn't get any easier to watch, but (laughs) it gets better in terms of quality. Yeah, this is official spoilers now. You didn't think Homelander's sex life could get any weirder, yeah, did you? Yeah, man, I... <laughs> Were you jumping straight into it? Yeah, you, you didn't about think the there could be more milk, could you? Did you, huh? <laughs> there's, there's so much milk. <laughs> Why don't we jump straight to the cabin? We have Homelander, who has a secret cabin, where he is retreating to on a regular basis to, I guess, have weird, illicit superhero sex with a hero we actually saw in the first season of the boys doppelganger that is such a good good name name too he's going to meet doppelganger in the form of a you know scantily clad milk bearing madeline stillwell and it is so freaky it is the weirdest thing ever did you buy she was alive for any point during that scene I thought it was going to be some kind of weird dreamscape or, like, holodeck situation. I didn't think it was going to be Doppelganger, but I didn't yeah, think it was Yeah, kind of me too. I thought it was just, like, the inner disturbed workings of Homelander's mind is just like, oh, I'm so sad and desperate, I would just love to imagine Stillwell sticking her milky fingers in my mouth. You know, it's... I'm sorry to say those <laughs> words, but that's what we're here for, boys. <laughs> He also goes into her office, her old office at one point, and drinks her breast milk. In the most tongue-forward way I've ever seen anyone drink milk. It is so gross. He heats it up first with his laser vision. And that's not even getting into the really twisted stuff. Because he and Stormfront have some 
interesting shared fetishes. Yeah, they kind of beat the hell out of each other superhero style before they start screwing. And uh, yeah, I guess it works with both of those characters. I mean, they're both psychopaths is to be revealed. And then at the beginning of the next episode, they kill a guy. yeah. And then immediately have sex over his dead body. Second head crush plus orgasm simultaneously in this show. How do we watch this show? (laughs) I don't know if we needed to see that once with Popclaw, but like... If you have a problem with heads exploding, do not watch the first season. season. Because... Yeah. Oh, man. You know what? Now I'm just fully remembering what you're talking about in terms of heads exploding. Because that... That happens... Yeah. Two major instances of, like, spontaneous-seeming head explosions that startled me twice, very genuinely. I I got scared, because it comes out of nowhere. Once Butcher's back in the fold, having been spared by Homelander and shown that his wife is alive, then immediately taken away, they are trying to get some Compound V to their CIA contact, who immediately gets her head yeah, exploded. Yeah, she was a really kind and genuine character in the first season, and she just gets brutally destroyed very quickly in this show. Poor Huey just cannot stop getting guts all over yeah. his face. He and Starlight continue to have one of the best romances on television. Yeah, that feels... Just in terms of how genuine and invested Honestly, I am. you know, they there are moments in this show where it's like, it is a struggle for this fugitive living in a pawn shop basement and the biggest superstar superhero in the new seven they have to struggle a lot with things that make a lot of sense to be struggling with as those characters it's not as easy as like they're just like ah screw it whatever we'll just do our thing you want them to be together and you feel that maybe that's not gonna be the way it works out but it feels so well done regardless I knew I was going to be in the minority on this. <laughs> Did you not like their relationship, Ricardo? I don't have a very high tolerance for cutesy couples. I don't have any other way to put that. <laughs> but on the flip side, I did enjoy uh, the way Frenchie and Kamiko, how their relationship kind of built. It's more, I don't know, I just like them. There's more, I'm more invested. I don't want them to get together necessarily. I just like them interacting. That's the thing, I don't, I feel like they're building a little bit toward a potential romance, which is absolutely not what I want out of that relationship. Have you not been feeling that that's, like, their entire kind of endgame since they introduced Kamiko, though? I know, obviously, he covets her, but I want it to be more like Frenchie grows to appreciate her platonically than, oh, they get together. Real quick, before we completely leave Starlight and Huey, though, a thing I really liked is that she mentions that she was on a date at a movie premiere with Alden Ironreich, you know, right. Han Solo. But it's interesting because in his breakout role in the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar, he plays a Hollywood star, Hobie Doyle, who gets set up on a sham date, like a huge part of that movie for him, is going on a studio set up date with oh. a woman who he doesn't know. So I just thought that's that got to be a reference, little... right? Absolutely, it's just good writing. That the writing in this writing. season was great. A lot of this stuff was very, very clever. Felt like they're making a world full of things that you know might be 
different enough, but recognizable to us where we can, like, kind of fit ourselves in a world like that. I really liked Becca as a character. I think she lived up to all of the hype of having Butcher talk about her constantly. Man, that stuff with her in the compound is is pretty heartbreaking. Like, when they're together, he Mm -hmm. finally gets to see her again. He breaks in and face-to-face, not just for the, you know, one second that Homelander let him see her alive, but, like, just the way that they interact with each other feels very, very real. By the time Becca shows Butcher that there's no world in which she would voluntarily leave her son, Homelander's son, seeing Butcher not as the big British badass that's, like, cracking skulls at every opportunity and, like, really being hurt by something so much more devastating than, like, a superhero breaking his body in half. It's good writing, good performances. I kind of felt like every time I would watch those scenes, the scene where she finally gets to meet the boys. Oh, yeah. Where they're all just leaning forward, (laughs) beaming at her. That's how I felt watching those scenes. Like, I was super invested and super interested in everything that was going to happen with those characters. And she is so fiercely protective of her son, Ryan, who Homelander is trying to make into his sidekick, protege, what have you. We all know Butcher has a problem with soups, Mm -hmm. and he's he's not crazy about this kid. I mean, did you ever really think, though, that he was going to really genuinely, like, leave him to his own devices? We'll get there. I think there's a difference between I don't think Butcher would kill the kid. Or at least earlier in the season, I think Butcher would have left him to die. But, I mean, I mean, let's talk about that. At Towards the end of the season, when things are coming to a head in the final episode, he's trying to get Ryan back from Homelander for Becca, and Stormfront confronts them. Ryan finally uses his powers to obliterate Stormfront, which was oh, very yeah. satisfying. Oh, yeah, her. But inadvertently kills his mother. And Butcher, in his rage, is it seems almost ready to do something to Ryan until Homelander shows up. Yeah, I mean, Carl Urban gives a great performance. I legit thought, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna murder this kid. But he swallows all of that anger to protect him because that's what he promised Becca he would do, only to be saved, of course, by Queen Maeve with her blackmail video from the plane. Yeah. There's so much blackmail on this season. Every other conversation, I need you to do this thing for me. No, well, how about I pull up this video I took of you earlier? Mm -hmm. There is a lot of that. But again, that is sadly reality yeah, it's all corporate espionage you know the only thing they all care about is like their mm-hmm. either their careers and reputations or like just more literally what vaught will do to the people that get caught with this kind of stuff so i'm kind of sad that ryan got handed over to the cia at the end of the season because i kind of just wanted butcher and ryan the I show was surprised that that's how that ended man yeah me too honestly uh, who's to say that Ryan is immediately back with Butcher at the beginning of next season, you know? I feel like... I feel Ryan's a, a better suited to be Butcher's canary than Huey is. Oh, poor Huey. We get to meet Butcher's family and see oh, God, how messed up yeah, all his, that his is. terribly <laughs> abusive father. We get the backstory about his younger brother who committed suicide years before. When they go to Butcher's aunt's house, she explains that... 
Lenny was the little brother's name, that Lenny apparently even looks a lot like Huey, so... We didn't even talk about Billy's most important family member, Terror. Terror! Who we saw for a split second in the first season, in a flashback. Oh, that's right! I was glad to see him again. Me too. I was so on edge the whole time with how this show usually treats animals. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Especially considering in that in that part with the ant and Terror, we get a lot more black noir action than we like ever have in the show, which I appreciated. I want more character from Black Noir, because the tiny little glimpses we get into his character are so fascinating and almost endearing. He's, like, playing <laughs> masterful piano and... Just struggling to get an hors d'oeuvre. <laughs> yeah. But then again, you'll probably never see him again, considering he has, like, irreparable brain damage. I mean, they wrote that pretty open-ended, because the Almond Joy through line in this season is so well executed <laughs> yes i can't believe oh i'm saying God. this i love how that became a plot point i love this running gag you start with this poor woman that works in security that gets visited by soups all the time eating her almond joy at her desk and black noir forcing her to throw it away which <laughs> was just funny in general then you have later when Starlight and Huey are on the lamb in a motel with mother's milk. We see Starlight eating an Almond Joy and Huey cracking about how nobody likes Almond Joy. The payoff of all of that Almond Joy talk is Maeve force-feeding Black Noir <laughs> and Almond Joy because he's allergic to tree nuts. So yeah, um, let's talk about Nazis. I was gonna say, we didn't talk <laughs> anything about Stormfront or Liberty or... Her Nazi ties? So, Vought, the original Vought, the Nazi scientist's wife, doesn't age, is a soup, and is Stormfront. Formerly Liberty, a superhero from the 1970s who disappeared at some point and that the boys got a lead on from their CIA pal before her head turned into mush. Just committing hate crimes all over the place, being really racist oh, to A-Train. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she talks to Ryan, a young boy, about white genocide and how they need him as a soldier against it. And even Hoblander seems taken aback by that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because throughout her, like, slow reveal in this season to be, like, the worst thing on the planet, she kind of has an air of superhero supremacy to her and at one point i wasn't sure if she was going to lean into like it's nazi sentiments but not against races it's against superheroes versus non-superheroes but it's both <laughs> it's both guys just... i think this show might be starting to get political <laughs> <laughs> oh my god all of the rallies about immigration the bad super terrorists coming across the border and the... don't forget Fat Neil being radicalized and shooting yes. Absolutely a Fat store. Neil being... I thought he was going to be a main character. I thought he was going to join the boys, and I got so <laughs> sad. <laughs> that is obviously a direct analog to what I assumed it was Donald Trump's speeches that oh, yeah. inspired plenty of domestic terrorism incidents in the last few years that are based solely around, like, paranoia and propaganda. Wait, guys, is Homelander supposed to be like Trump? Oh, who would have thought? 
I think he's like America. Isn't it weird that there are literal Nazis in this show that are coming back, except they've also been part of America the whole time? <laughs> oh my main God. weapon is memes. I was holding out for Homelander Pepe, and we didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been perfect. We also have, and I'm getting really tired of every TV show needing a AOC character, but we have an AOC character. Well, well hold on, it's a little more nuanced than that, Garrett. Y- yes, but it is a pastiche of, like, yeah. a vaguely ethnic, usually Hispanic congresswoman who's progressive and igniting the passions of the masses. There was that on Space Force, they've got that on Succession, that Calpen Sunnyside show that got cancelled, now this. I don't know any of those shows, but like we said, there are, <laughs> there are very non-subtle ways that this season is really folding in our own into, into this nonsense, so. It's weird that the theme of each season is tied always to who Homelander is having sex with. Huh. Yeah. Like, season one's definitely, like, still wells like a metaphor for, like, America in bed with corporatization, and now, you know, straight-up Nazism. But let's talk about Victoria Newman, the AOC-esque character, who knows a little bit more about the head exploding than you might initially think. I nearly forgot about the head exploding stuff by the end of the season. Like, during the wrap-up of the last episode of season two, I was pretty satisfied with a lot of the ways that they were wrapping it up. You know, Mother's Milk goes back to his family, and... Kamiko and Frenchie being on good terms again after having some struggles with their relationship throughout the season and they're, you know, leaving the pawn shop behind. And I was like, oh, wow, this seems like a good wrap up. They're not leaving it as cliffhangery as the first season. And then, bam, the Church of the Collective guy gets his brain blasted. Have we talked about the Church of the Collective in depth yet? <laughs> Very little. So, yeah, Deep joins Scientology and gets A-Train in on it. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. The leader of this Scientology-esque church is speaking to our AOC character over the phone, asking for tax exemptions, information on whatever, a trade of information for money, basically. He gets his head exploded while drinking a fresca, so... In time, his head exploding in time with opening the can. (laughs) Yes. Just wonderful. And, And then... From this head explosion, we pan out to see Victoria Newman's eyes glaze over like Storm in X-Men, and it's revealed that she is the person that has been massacring people. And we end the season with Huey asking her for a job in her office with a closed door. So it's going to get hairy next season. Huey's never been closer to the threat. It's like having Starlight on the Seven, but... To a degree where Huey does not have any damn superpowers, so he's really in the frying pan here. Uh, there's some new developments with that. They're doing some experiments in, a, what was the name of the, the place? Oh Something my god, Grove? we didn't even talk about Shady Grove or whatever. Oh yeah, Sean Ashmore, Lamplighter, yeah. is alive and torching mental patients. Yeah, their Stormfront is, like, doing Nazi experiments in this asylum on people to see if they can stabilize giving Compound V to adults, and, yeah, Lamplighter's just torching them. There's so many moving parts, it's really impractical for us to be able to cover all of them. 
God, yeah. In one episode. But there's a lot going on behind the scenes, and there are a lot of potential avenues from which people could be approaching Compound V and superherodom. And I think it's only going to get messier and more confusing next season. What do you guys think of Lamplighter? I wish he stuck around longer. I will say, again, this season brought depth to characters in an unprecedented way. They made me feel a little bit, like, not excusably or like them. But I felt a little bad for Lamplighter. They even made me feel, in one scene, a little bad for Homelander. I really wanted to hear what that Homelander scene was, but... Going back to Lamplighter, I did get... Yeah, I'm with you. I felt bad for him. The Homelander scene I was referring to, Ricardo, is, I think, genuinely the only time we've ever seen him be open emotionally at all is with Ryan talking about how scared he was the first time he was ever in public. I didn't feel bad for Homelander, like, as the raging psychopath that we know him as as an adult, but I did feel bad for the child raised in the lab that was just crying because they were scared. It's a character that you hate, but you love to see on screen. And I can only hope they just continue through on season three and however long they go, that this character is just going to become more complex and emotional and terrible in every single way. And it's just going to it's, it's keep getting better. I also really like the way they're paralleling him with Butcher. Oh, absolutely. And how both their upbringing kind of turn them into the psychos that they are yeah that definitely apparent in the scene where butcher confronts his dying father man i want to like butcher but he's hard-headed i was saying to my mom butcher is i think the most morally conflicted i have ever felt about a character on television that i understand why he's doing what he's doing like looking at his past I see where he's coming from, but at the same time, he's doing such despicable, horrific things, it's very hard to remain on his side. A lot like Homelander, like you were saying, the depth that is added to him in this season is shown through, like, we know him as a character that is absolutely insane. He will do whatever he needs to to get his goal of ending Homelander and ruining the Seven and getting revenge for his family, but there are a few key moments where his terrible personality kind of gets suppressed a little bit and you see the human being underneath the terrifying murder monster. Alright, I think we've got to wrap up our conversation on Du Bois, but I'm sure we will talk about it more, reference it on the show more, and eagerly anticipate Season three's arrival. Oh yes. Now it's time for our pop culture reference of the episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the career of Joss Whedon. As we discussed The Boys Season 2 during our main segment, there's a throwaway line on the set of a superhero film talking about a quote-unquote Joss rewrite, which has a lot of layers of references to Joss Whedon's career and controversies, and so we're going to break that down a little bit because, for better or worse, he's one of the most influential personalities in Hollywood the last 20 years. Especially with, like, superhero media. And so, Joss Whedon got his start as a script doctor back in the 90s, fixing scripts like Toy Story, which apparently the first draft of was unreadable, and Speed. Then, later, he broke into television writing, so Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Firefly are his huge breakout shows, which... 
I am a big fan of both of those. Eventually making his way to direct the Avengers, and also Avengers Age of Ultron. But after he did the Avengers movies, he was brought in to replace Zack Snyder and finish Justice League, which we've covered the Snyder Cut and all of the history of that on a previous pop culture reference, so you can... If you want to hear our pop culture reference where we break down the history of Justice League and the Snyder Cut, you can check out episode 23, where our main segment was Birds of Prey. This is kind of a multi-layered joke, because one, obviously... Joss Whedon is involved in the Avengers movies and came in to polish up the Justice League. But also, I think the scene it's directly referring to when Homelander mentions the Joss rewrite is a very ham-fisted scene where a character is talking about being a lesbian, but not in a way that feels modern or progressive, but it feels pandering and empty. Mm-hmm. And Whedon, especially of late, has been criticized for just because his portrayal of women was groundbreaking and progressive in the 90s doesn't mean that it's groundbreaking and progressive now. And while I do think characters like Buffy Summers on Buffy the Vampire Slayer have a great deal of depth to them, there are certain female archetypes that Whedon gravitates towards. There's a surface-level joke there in the idea that Whedon gravitates towards superhero media and is brought was brought in to fix Justice League, but also there is, because of the scene that we just saw from the movie, some commentary on maybe the way that Joss Whedon writes and treats women in his films. Yeah, this season was really, like, unabashedly going after, like, the DCEU and all that stuff with all... With all the, all of the seven working on the same movie. So yeah, that wraps us up for today's pop culture reference. Let's move on to our newest segment, Pop Quiz. Pop, 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 quiz. I love it, Seamus. That's, that's the new You intro. like that? That's it. I want a demo version on my desk by Monday. I want your gun and your badge on my desk now, Strother. If you missed us last week... Our newest segment is called Pop Quiz, where I ask Seamus and Ricardo a pop culture trivia question, and the first one to answer gets a point. Last week, Ricardo was the one who answered correctly about who Jack Quaid's parents were, so this week, Seamus gets to pick between our two categories. Seamus, are you ready? Let me hear him, Garrett. Your categories are Jeopardy or WandaVision, tying in with our news this week. Ooh, okay. Well, I'm down by one point. And I need to make Selgato cry today, so I think I'm going to go with Jeopardy. What player has won the most money cumulatively over their entire Jeopardy career? Oh, God. Oh, no. Damn, I do not know any Jeopardy players, but I know there was Celebrity Jeopardy at one point. If we need a tiebreaker, we'll go to the second question. By which I mean, if neither of you have anything to offer, <laughs> we will go to the second question. Was, Wait a minute. I don't know. Was Elon Musk ever on Jeopardy? Was it that know. one guy who was like on that insane winning streak recently? No, that's James Holtzauer, who won the most money in a single game ah. ever. Ken Jennings has the longest winning streak ever, and has made the most money on game shows of anybody ever in total. But the person who has won the most money cumulatively on Jeopardy is Brad Rutter, who won $5.2 million over the course of his Jeopardy career. Oh my god. Look at the big brain on Brad. 
Oh, Ricardo, that was just perfectly executed. <laughs> All right, would you like your second category, your WandaVision question? Yeah, let's see if we're less dumb about this. Remember, it's who answers first, so do it in your head before buzzing in. How many MCU films has Elizabeth Olsen's Scarlet Witch appeared in, and which ones were they? Hold on, I, th- I think I got it. Age of Ultron, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. I think that's all of them. Seamus, do you have an alternative answer? All right, hold on. Okay, so we have... And Ricardo, you can still guess if you can get it before Seamus does. I know it starts with Ultron. No, it doesn't. She was in the after credit scene of... uh Oh, what came before Ultron? Was it Iron Man 3? Was it Iron Man 2? Ah, oh, crap. No. I'm going to say five in total because she was in the after credit scene of the one before Ultra. You can't name that other um, one, though. Like, what is this one? I know it's one that I'm missing. I know it, I got the other one. Is it Winter Soldier? It is Winter yes. Soldier. Seamus gets the point. Yes! No! Suck it, Silgato. Oh, that was... You couldn't have named them if I had I was named literally them. counting on my fingers before you spoke out loud. And I thought you got it. To be fair, I thought you got it, but... I knew that one would trip you guys up. I knew that was a tricky one. That's a good one, Garrett. Good one. Well, it's one-to-one, Ricardo. I'll see you next week, buddy. Ricardo, you'll get to pick the category next week, so that'll be fun. All right, now it's time for Mando Bros, where we break down the latest episode of The Mandalorian. Hell of an episode this week, huh? Chapter 11? Yeah, Chapter 11. The Heiress. Heiress. Is it interesting title yeah i really wasn't sure where that was going for a minute there i thought it was talking about the frog people but we're in a pretty rough scrape after last week the razor quest is in a bad way and we just just barely make it to this water planet bola akbar yeah it's the mon calamari Calamari. not to mention the fact that mando finally gets to use the mon calamari currency that he was given by carl weathers noticed, in season one i noticed that as well i like that detail this was a shorter episode than we usually get for the mandalorian it was only like 35 minutes but it yep. felt very much like the second half of a two-parter specifically with the last episode so i they wrap up a lot of the good stuff with the frog lady and her eggs getting back to her husband <laughs> i like that i was so happy to see that Yoda gets a little bit of yeah he gets a taste of his own medicine when that little squid chowder starts sucking on his face i liked baby yoda having more of a connection with the frogs after they hatched yeah that was nice to see too they kind of you know mando kind of keeps the child with the frog woman and her husband while he goes off to do a little piracy but yeah there's a little off-screen like life appreciation that baby yoda learns through like interacting with this now hatched frog egg but other than that should we go to spoilers oh yeah totally totally baby yoda gets fed to a sea monster by some conniving fisherman yeah that startled me god i guess Mm -hmm. i should be used to them getting screwed by the people that say they're gonna help them but they just toss his hover pram into the weird worm pool yeah, R.I.P. Hover. Yeah, that thing's done for. But Mando gets him out and is saved by <gasps> Mandalorians. Yay! More specifically, Mandalorians in Death Watch armor. Bo-Katan, baby. She's here. Yay. Yeah, I know, Ricardo. You 
do not know and or care too much about these Clone Wars characters coming in, but... Well, I just don't know what her whole deal is. I don't know the backstory of any of these people. If I may. Please. Please. Bo-Katan is the sister of Satine Katan, who is the last Duchess of Mandalore and courtly love of one Obi-Wan Kenobi. Secret love. Before... Who is the brother of Chris Katan. (laughs) (laughs) Bo-Katan is a Death Watch warrior who really is a bit of a terrorist... For a while. Yeah, she's kind of part of the bad guys. The Death Watch originally is trying to basically stage a coup on Mandalore to bring it back to its like warrior roots. Well, they are called the Death. Well, yeah, Watch. they're trying to be. They're yeah, trying to be scary. Exactly. At some point after that, Bo-Katan breaks with Death Watch, which we know the Mandalorian himself, Din Djarin, was raised by some kind of faction of Death Watch with which Bo-Katan is broken apart from. She is not part of that whole subsect of Mandalorian. I really liked how they kind of gave Din Djarin the Han Solo treatment of like, oh, you're one of those Mandalorians with your hokey religion, you're not taking your helmet off, and it like doesn't even matter that much, and he's like, you're not real Mandalorians. Uh-huh. I was so in Mando's shoes this episode, because not only do I not know who any of these people <laughs> are, but I had the same reaction... That I did with Timothy Oliphant when like people take off their Mandalorian helmets. I'm just like, you can't <laughs> do that. It's weird. Yeah, Mando's essentially was, unbeknownst to him, raised in a cult. He's definitely being shown a lot more that maybe the extremism in which he takes the Mandalorian creed isn't going to be as well recepted by the other Mandalorians that he's searching for in his quest with reuniting the child with the Jedi. And I don't quite want to see him like lose his faith in his Mandalorian creed because I think a lot of what makes his character cool is the rules that he like personally makes himself follow so hopefully we don't get him like a corrupted version of Mandalorian even though like we kind of see with Bo-Katan it doesn't really quite matter for the rest of the Mandalorians in the galaxy. Well there are lots of good Mandalorians who don't strictly observe the same codes that he does, but they still do observe a Mandalorian code. Well, of course. Mando has a direction now, because I don't think he's going to be looking for more Mandalorians, because Bo-Katan has given him the location of Ahsoka Tana. Yeah, that was pretty big. I thought they were... Yeah, that name I there do recognize. I, I thought they were really going to do like a what they did with Boba. Pretty much was that it was going to be like a big visual reveal at like the end of an episode. But she's just kind of like, hey, forest planet, uh, Sokotano, tell him I sent you and you'll be good on your way. So we should be getting live action Ahsoka any episode now. We would see more of Bo-Katan's quest. I think we're not done with her yet because clearly she's looking for Moff Gideon, who has the Darksaber. Which we touched on in our Season 1 recap of The Mandalorian, if you want to go check that out on our YouTube channel. And she is the last person in chronology before Moff Gideon that we've seen wielding the Darksaber, so clearly she lost it to him in some capacity. So yeah, that's pretty much it for this episode of The Mandalorian, short and sweet. Yeah, truly, it's it's great intro of Bo-Katan in live action, a crazy setup for maybe Ahsoka next episode, maybe in a few if there's some hiccups along the way, but, you know, everything is 
pretty resolved. They steal that Imperial freighter full of weapons, and they, you know, Baby Yoda, like we said, learns a little compassion for living things to not eat them as much, and we're kind of shipped out. The Razor Crest the... is, is like, slowly turning into a Millennium Falcon-style hunk of junk, which is interesting to see if they just keep knocking it around. Hey, she's got it where it counts, kid. Damn okay? straight. Okay, now let's save the rec center, boys. I'm going to start us off this week with a show that I think you guys will have at least some passing interest in. Over the last few weeks, my parents and I have started a CBS 30-minute sitcom called The Unicorn, starring Walton Goggins as a widower, just... You know, he's trying to get back into dating and raises two girls, and he's got a zany cast of friends, including Rob Codry. It's really cute. It's a little cheesy, but it's kind of supposed to be, I think. It's, like, the entire vibe it's going for is heartfelt dad joke, but Walton Goggins is really good, Rob Codry is really funny, and the rest of the cast you've seen in Things. Marie from Breaking Bad is a recurring guest. Seamus, I know you're a Walton Goggins boy, and obviously Ricardo and I are both justified mm-hmm. fiends. So it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I Like you said, I love Walton Goggins. I love Rob Corddry. They're both hilarious and like genuinely good actors. So uh, is it on a streaming service? It's on Netflix, and it has been renewed for season two, so it should be coming as well. Because CBS is letting all their stuff go to Netflix now because... CBS All Access is about to be dead, if it's oh, not God. already. What do you got, Seamus? Uh, this week, uh, in line with all of our new console releases, this is one more for the PlayStation people. So, Garrett, I know you've had a PS3 for a while, and this game actually goes all the way back to PS2, but it's been remastered a few times. So, at the very least, it's playable on the PS4 and the PS5. Shadow of the Colossus is a PlayStation classic. Very old school, very iconic for the PlayStation 2 era. I just spent the last three or four days just playing every single inch of this exquisite game. It's simple enough. You're a young man trying to like resurrect your dead girlfriend. And the only way to do that is by making a pact with a very sinister god and killing 16 like, skyscraper-sized monsters with a sword. Sounds fascinating. definitely one of the best PlayStation-exclusive games that I think I can say for a fact. And it's the same company that made The Last Guardian, and Ico was the secret kind of sequel to Shadow of the Colossus. Last Guardian, more playable. I believe that's actually in the PlayStation Plus collection, for the PS5, so oh wow! If you want kind of the similar well, vibe, easy check peasy. that out. Ricardo, what do you got? Well, the only thing coming to mind for me right now is uh, it came out in 2017, the Ducktales reboot uh, from Matt Youngberg and Francisco. I'm gonna pronounce this wrong. And Angonaz, we got David Tennant as Scrooge McDuck, Danny Pudi, aka Abed, as Huey, Ben Schwartz as Dewey. And Bobby Moynihan is Louie Duck. You can tell it's a labor of love from the creators. They put a lot of thought and effort into the world building, into the character development. Man, I had no idea that cast was so insane. F- My god, I only knew a few of those, but that's that's crazy. 
the first two seasons are on Disney Plus, and uh, they recently had their big Darkwing Duck one-hour special, which is free on YouTube. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. I think kind of underrated as a show. Check it out. It's got good characters, good storylines. It's a fun time. All right, uh, I think that wraps us up for today's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Find us on that handle on Instagram as well. You can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our new YouTube channel. Not only can you listen to our full episodes, but we're also posting a video-fied recap slash breakdown of our Mando Bros segments every single week. Plus, we have our Season 1 recap of The Mandalorian, if you want to refresh your memory on that, like we were mentioning earlier in the show. Next week, we'll be talking about the LEGO Star Wars Holiday Special, I believe, plus I'll bring my thoughts on the PS5, so make sure to join us then. Until then, have a great week. Adios, amigos.